0: Today's guest is the absolutely lovely Ian White, the founder of the Australian Bush Flower Essences. Now, for those of you who are in my Homeopathy Hangout Facebook group, you'll know that I had a little gremlin in my computer just before Christmas. I thought I was being very smart and I'd recorded two months ahead of episodes, and then just before Christmas, I lost ten of my interviews, and Ian was one of them. So. Oh my gosh, it was not fun just after Christmas having to email this wonderful man who I had the most amazing episode with and say, Ian, I'm so sorry. I've lost your interview. Can we re-record? And Ian was so gracious to agree. So Ian, if you're listening, thank you so much with all my heart. I really appreciate it now this is such a special episode because it's all about the australian bushflower essences and i've known about them in the past i used to work in a house shop where we sold them but i didn't quite get them until my first interview with ian last year and holy moly I can really see the potential for these remedies they're so easy to use there's no aggravations Uh, very gentle but still very profound if you go to their website ozflowers.com.au that's a-u-s-f-l-o-w-e-r-s.com.au you can pop on their website there and see all the amazing remedies they have or their their essences there's combinations there's roll-ons there's oral sprays there's mist they've got skincare they've got pendants Um, the pendants sound amazing actually Ian showed me one during. In the interview. I'm also going to upload this video onto Rumble. So if you want to see the video interview, hop onto Rumble and have a look. Um, as you may know, YouTube has actually suspended my account for three months because we had two interviews, one with Leah Golden and one with Jeremy Sher, where we spoke about how homeopathic remedies can help with vaccine reactions. And uh, YouTube decided that was medical misinformation, so they suspended my account. So hop onto Rumble, type in Eugenie Kruger homeopathy, and my interview with Ian White will pop up there. So So do have a look. Definitely pop onto the ozflowers.com.au website if you want to find out more about Ian's courses. Some coming up very soon face-to-face over in Sydney. And that sounds amazing. We talk about it right at the end of the interview as well. But just hop on the ozflowers.com.au website, click on education, and you'll see the online workshops, face-to-face correspondence, their international course calendar. So yeah, pop on there if you want to learn more about these incredible essences and how you can use them in the home and also in your clinic. I hope you enjoy the episode. If you want to continue the conversation, hop onto the Homeopathy Hangout Facebook group and flick me an email at info at eugeniekruger.com if you have any questions and check the show notes if you want to know more about how you can get hold of the Australian Bushflower Essences or hop on their website. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout, where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world. And now my mum and your host, Eugenie Kruger. Hello, homies, and a very warm welcome to Homeopathy Hangouts. Today, we have the privilege of speaking with the absolutely lovely Ian White, who is the founder of the Australian Bushflower Essences. Welcome to the show, Ian.
1: Hi there, Eugenie.
0: And everyone listening
1: too.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on, Ian. Now, my experience with the Australian bushflower essences was when I used to work in a health shop and I saw these beautiful products there and I was so intrigued and there were loads of testers. So I would go and smell all of them. And then I got hooked on your moisturizer range. It was just so good for my skin. The fragrances were amazing. It was like this incredible experience of just smelling the products, but then also so nice for my skin. And then one of the staff told me, Hey, they've got this space clearing essence. So whenever we had like bad vibes in the shop, people coming in, we would like use the space clearing essence to just clear the space. And it really, really worked. So I just want to say, I've loved your products for several years now, and I love what they're doing, but can you tell our listeners a little bit about how you first got into the natural health journey? Cause it's something that's in your family, but share that beautiful story with us of how you were first introduced to natural medicine.
1: I grew up in Sydney, just about 45 minutes northwest of the CBD, and my parents' property backed onto Kringai Chase National Park, so the bush was my playground as a child. And living next door to us, but so you had to climb down the cliff or an old get to a dirt road, was my grandmother. And my grandmother was a herbalist. She, along with my great-grandmother, was some of the first white people to look at medicinal properties of Australian plants. And my great-great-grandmother had come across from Europe to work as a herbalist on the goldfields in the 1850s. And we joked that my dad's the black sheep of the family because he was a pharmacist, but he still worked with herbs. He was like a suburban Newton pharmacy, for those who maybe in New South Wales know of Newton's pharmacy in in the city. And I really loved spending time with my grandmother. I'd go bushwalking with her. I'd help her make up all the herbal extracts and fluid tinctures. And... Because she'd been working with so many of the plants, when we walked, she'd point out plants, talking about their healing qualities. So from a young age, I got an appreciation out in the bush. There are all these very powerful healing plants. Unfortunately, my grandmother was riddled with cancer the day I was born. She was a very heavy smoker. She kept it at bay with phytolacra and sorrel and then three Australian plants. And then she went traveling off to Europe and got separated from her luggage and the stress of traveling by the time my dad got all the herbs that she needed to her, you know, she was very ill, flown back, went into a coma. And all that knowledge was lost for a second time, you know, indigenous people with smallpox and what have you, that oral tradition was lost as well. And I went off to university, I was doing a science degree, got very sick, traveling in India. So I started working with herbs to rebuild my health, got, got involved in yoga, meditation and then halfway or th- well, just in my last year I realized the thing that I was really interested in was more than natural therapy so then I went and uh, did my it was the only full-time naturopathic course in New South Wales and this was in the late 70s and I probably graduated more as a homeopath and a herbalist and went into practice and yeah I've been practicing for 45 years and the bush essences came a, a number of years after that
0: mm. Yeah. Well, you're doing something right. Because when I look at you, I'm just like, you look like you do not look like you could be practicing 45 years. You don't look more than 45 yourself. So I don't know <laughs> if you're including you. that from when you were a baby, when you say 45 years, but yeah, whatever you're doing, it's working. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: That's and the I've... secret bush essences will reveal at the end of the interview. <laughs> yeah.
0: And also I heard this story about you feigning illness when you were a little boy, so you could spend time with your grandma.
1: Oh, I should have been an actor. Like my dad was harder to please, but my mum was a bookkeeper. I and mean, when I'd wait for my dad to leave, then I'd go to my mum, and I'd be doubled up with pain, pleading I wanted to go to school. Say, oh no, you're far too sick. You better spend the day with your grandmother. And as soon as I worked out my mum had gone off to work, I'd recover, and you know it was much more fun going out in the bush with my grandmother and making all the herbs, et cetera, than going to school. And my mum had come back at the end of the day to pick me up and say, oh, how's Ian? And my grandmother, I think she enjoyed my company. So, Mm. oh, it gradually got a little bit (laughs) (laughs) better. The downside was my mum was convinced I had some benign growth in my stomach. So she took me off to every gastrointestinal specialist in Macquarie Street here in Sydney. And, Everyone would give me barium meals and x oh, no. So it was a wonder my digestive system actually functions at all. <laughs> and I, I confessed to my mum a few years before she died, and she was in her 80s, I never really had problems. I just wanted to be in the bush and she was quite mortified. <laughs> she thought she was a bad mother for you know her son being so sick all the time.
0: Oh I'm sure that your grandma's with you every single day and so loving the work that you're doing with the flower essences. So tell us a bit, Ian, how did the flower, the Australian bushflower essences come about? How were you first inspired to create these? What was the process that led to that? Well,
1: I really enjoyed the concept of the flower essences when I was studying my naturopathy. And at that time, the only ones available were the bark flowers. And I thought, well, why isn't someone doing any research with Australian plants, having spent all that time with my grandmother, knowing that in the bush there are all these very powerful plants and no one had been doing that research so i used to run courses in naturopathy and bark flowers and a homeopathic first aid and i'd be using the bark flowers in my practice but quite often i'd be disappointed because i knew i had the right remedy but people couldn't tell if there was anything change or Mm. things weren't happening and then a good friend of mine who i'd shared a house with when i was doing my naturopathy and he early thirties, charismatic, successful young man, brought up an organic farm. He was told me he'd been diagnosed with bowel cancer. So he wanted, because of my interest in meditation, if I'd run a healing circle the night before they're going to operate on him. So all our mutual friends were equally shocked as I was. So they all came and we did a a healing circle. There was meditation, directing energy and then they operate the next day on Jim to spread everywhere, and they said, there's nothing they can do for him. So I continued that healing circle weekly in my home, and we opened it up to anyone who needed healing. And shortly, he died about six months later. And shortly after his death, in the meditations of the healing circle, I started getting pictures of plants, told where to go and find them, and what their healing qualities were. And I'm more of an auditory person, so to have very strong visuals was very exciting. And sometimes If I didn't know the plant, there'd be a little caption underneath the flower, the botanic name. So it was like being presented on a platter to me and I'd go and do research. And I can remember making some of the flowers, being told where to go and make them. I thought, I know that area. There's no flannel flowers growing down. I'd go there and just be a mass of flannel flowers. So for two years, I was just out in the bush every day. I was already established in my practice. I was using the remedies on patients and getting great results. I was giving them to people I knew, colleagues, doctors, homeopaths, naturopaths, to use, see if they could get the results that I was getting. And there'd be synchronicity, such as if I made a remedy that day, patients I might be seeing later that afternoon all needed that remedy. So it gave me the sense, oh, I'm on the right track. But also I could observe, well, is it doing what it's supposed to be doing? Mm. And so for two years, I just did this lot of research. I thought at that point, It'd just be for Australian people, given their Australian flowers. And I started publishing the information and it didn't take long before we had people in other countries wanting to bring them into Europe, North, mm. South America. And the results they were getting were equally as well. And I realized, well, we're very much a global village that something that's growing in Australia can have an equally important impact on someone living in another country.
0: That's amazing. And what was your first flower that you made?
1: Bush iris, Bush which had a longifolia. It's a lovely flower. doesn't last very long. Like if you pick it, it'll die straight away. only lasts one day. So on one level, it's um, people very uncomfortable about death, whether it's their own or people around them. It's also working powerfully on the lymphatic system. And it's working on the pineal. Mm. So we have it in our travel essence because the pineal is regulating body clocks so if you're flying to a different time zone to help you readjust very quickly but on that spiritual level it's going much deeper into your any religious or spiritual practice meditations etc so I, i thought it was a nice one being the very first one that allowed me to go deeper into exploring the essences.
0: I was about to say that it's probably not coinkidink that your first remedy that you're getting is a remedy that has an action on the pineal to help you better understand and get in touch with what other essences. How did this remedy come to you? Was this the one in the meditation that this was the first Many of
1: them, most of them were in in meditations. And Mm. occasionally I'd get some in dreams. Mm. For example, the BOAB, which is such a fantastic tree growing in your state in western Australia up in the Kimberley area and with that one it was a very clear message that there was this white candle-like flower and like I think I was in the post office up in Darwin and they had a it wasn't the boab it was the bottle tree but there was some flowers on the ground had had sort of destroyed Mm. they were too old and I was thinking walking around thinking I'd love to see sorry, it was a boa, I'd love to see what this flower looks like. And then a flower fell directly, a full oh. flower. And I, there was no flowers on that tree. So I, I was teaching in Darwin and organized the workshop coordinator and I and a friend of mine. We headed off driving into the Kimberleys from Darwin. And this was late in the season. This was April. And usually the flowering time is right now. We didn't find any, but it was certainly started the adventure, and then the following year went back to the Kimberley's to make it. And that's the beauty of making the essences in Australia. One year my wife and I we traveled five hours across to Perth, waited in transit for a couple of hours, three-hour flight to Broome, two-hour drive, and there were no the Boabs were very late that year. So I was like, (laughs) okay, go all the way back. And because I make a number of remedies up in the Kimberleys. But like most of them are around the August-September flowering time. So Boab's the only one just to travel that way just to make it.
0: Oh, In my fact, goodness. The
1: last time I met it was 37 degrees that day I made it. But it's a spectacular one. And I think for all the homeopaths, it's very special, not as a flower essence, because it also is, it has that homeopathic aspect of working on the miasms as well. Mm. And you also get Herring's law coming through, where you know there are from the top and above and for the sequence where you've got the illnesses for coming back out. So it's a really beautiful essence. Mm.
0: It's interesting because actually just Camilla sure, you've just already had a Facebook post come up yesterday about the Boab tree and in South Africa where I'm originally from, you know grows over there as well. Do you think that your training as a homeopath as well has influenced how you ended up making the remedies? i am just it'd be interesting to know if you had just studied, say herbal medicine if you would have gone more for like a tincture then as opposed to the essences like can you maybe talk to us a little bit about your decision on how to make the remedies the way that you do and you call them do you call them essences or remedies or just for people that Our are essences generally, yeah as, and, a,
1: as a modality yeah
0: and how do you prepare them kind of what potency are they so for somebody that has no idea about this and they know that this is a homeopathy podcast talk to me a little bit about how they are made and what sort of yeah. mode of action they would have
1: so I would start by saying you've got that umbrella of vibrational therapies, and homeopathy is in there. Flower essences there, gem elixirs—they are all that vibrational, and they're quite distinct, but come under that category. And the earliest records of the flower essences goes back to Egyptian times. They found records on papyrus going back three thousand years of collecting the dew of flowers to treat emotional imbalances. The earliest recorded European use is Hildegard von Bingen, who I'm sure many of the listeners will know of her music, and she's a Catholic saint in the last decade or so. And she was born 1098, and she ended up becoming an abbess running the monastery for all the nuns, and she would get the nuns to lay muslin sheets out overnight on the flowers, They'd collect it in the morning after it's absorbed the dew of the flowers. They'd wring it out and they would give it orally to treat emotional imbalances. And if someone was physically quite ill, they'd do hydrotherapy, wrapping the sheets around them. So then you had Paracelsus in the 16th century, who was also collecting the dew of plants to treat emotional imbalances. And then if we look at indigenous use, Aboriginal people here in Australia, a common thing would be to eat the flowers, knowing you're getting medicinal properties as well, and emotional healing ones as well as nutrition. And something like the banksias. If you live in Australia, no matter what state, you've got banksias growing. In the centre, it's very hard. So they would sit people amongst the banksia tree to absorb the vibration. And interesting, we call it old man banksia, the essence that I work with. And yet for the Aborigines, it's a tree for female spirituality. And interesting that it works on thyroid, amongst other things. And there's a metaphysical system of called the elements of man, where you can be an earth, air, fire, water, and it's not based on your birth date. And there are more women who are a water element. And each element has a key endocrine gland, and the key endocrine gland for the waters is the thyroid, which means it's more likely that gland to go out of balance than the others. And conversely, if you balance it, it can bring up some of the others which aren't functioning so well. So it's a very key one. So, again, the indigenous people having that, Sense of what the old man Banksia. So when you know Joseph Banks came, collected, it, took all the samples back to Kew Gardens. It came with James Cook in 1770. It's got a very gnarled old bark, very slow growing, and they called it old man. But if they had tapped into Aboriginal wisdom, would have been old woman Banksia. So we did an international fluorescence conference, the third international one here in Sydney in 1992 and we had two aboriginal elders open up one was from western australia and he was treated for polio successfully by the tribe so they dug a hole put burning coals down put bark of a tree over the coals wrapped him in kangaroo fur put him in there filled in the sand but also put in specific flowers to work with the polio, and then poured water down, which would seep and create the steam that he was wrapped in. And for any severe, we'd call it psychotic episode or very severe physical problem, they would do that treatment. So we know when the first uh, fleet arrived in 88 in Sydney, in their diaries, when the Aborigines were sick, they would float flowers in water and then drink the water. So there's very long traditional use and indigenous cultures throughout the world. But then we had Edward Bach, who was also a very well-known homeopath, the nozodes were his yes. invention. And he was influenced by a number of other homeopaths. Some used to walk around with glass bell jars on, they'd put flowers in and keep the sun shining on and in water there to make remedies. So he's very excited by that. And, Now for Bach, when he started doing his research, he made his remedies in two ways. Like there were a lot of buds of trees, chestnuts, for example. So he would boil them
0: Mm.
1: or the flowers. He would simulate that one of what nature's doing by producing the dew, by picking the flowers, floating in a bowl of water, and the sun would release that vibrational quality into the water. And now that's called the sunshine method. So, as I said, like 47 degrees heat when you're making Boab essence, you don't need to boil, <laughs> you're literally boiling anyway. So I've used, just used the sunshine method in, back in appreciation, acknowledgement of the great work Bach did to bring forward this ancient healing art. Because a lot of the Indigenous knowledge, its histories in Japan, in India, Brazil, here in Australia, a lot of that knowledge had been lost, and he really brought forward that concept. Now if you're a homeopath each dilution down you're succussing and you can get up to your 10m's and past whereas with the flower essences that bowl the mother tincture and the flowers are only staying in for England it was 4 hours here in Australia it's about 2 hours mm. the vibration is left the flowers discarded that water's added to brandy and that's your mother tincture now 7 drops are taken from the mother tincture into up to a 30 ml bottle of brandy and water, and that becomes the stock bottle. Mm. So if a practitioner or someone at home wanted to use the remedies a lot, they would buy stock essence. Mm. And then they would make a dose bottle, which is the next dilution, where you take seven drops of that, add it to another brandy water up to 30ml. And so we're not going past that dose bottle. So it's only really the two dilutions. And if you dilute it again, it doesn't seem to work very well. So it's quite different to homeopathy. Yeah. But the, the more you're diluting, the stronger, deeper acting it is and less physical and having all the emotional components, etc. And Richard Gerber, an American doctor, he's published a lovely book on vibrational medicine, which is that title. And he took some research by a man called Gerudis, and Garuda's understanding of how the flower essence is working, that when you take it, it goes under your tongue, into the bloodstream, into the digestive nervous system, then it goes to your meridians, now, which is where the acupuncture's would stick all the needles in. Now, we have silica in our body. Our connective tissue, hair, nails, and the silica is an amplifier, so it amplifies that vibrational quality of the essence out through the portals and the meridians, goes out into our subtle bodies, and then works its way back. So, if you're working on an emotional issue, let's say there's jealousy, mm-hmm. there's a remedy. For, mountain devil works on that. But you probably only need to take it for two weeks, but if you've been jealous for a very long time. What's in your outer subtle bodies, which the jealousies, those emotional states stay there. But if you've had it for a very long time, it starts retracting inwards and has an impact on the physical body. So jealousy will affect gallbladder, that rage, anger, hatred. So if you've got a gallbladder problem, you're going to need Mountain Devil for more than the two weeks because it's it's indicative that you've had the problem, that emotional imbalance, for quite some time. Hmm. And a lovely example for that was Kevin Rudd after he was, the party took the leadership of him as the prime minister. And there's photos of him in the back bench sitting there just fuming days after that event. And then he had his gallbladder removed.
0: Oh, <laughs> you know, interesting.
1: A couple of days later, you could see this rage just steaming from him. And he had a reputation for being quite an angry character. So there's that, probably a lot of that around and that was the tipping point. Ancient traditional cultures, Ayurvedic, Chinese medicine, observing people for thousands of years said that 90% of our physical symptoms stem from those emotional imbalances. Mm. And that's where I think it's great fluorescence because, you know, you don't have to be trained in medicine or anatomy physiology but if your child's been not invited to the birthday party, all the other friends have, or it's easy to recognize those emotional states. Or maybe it's sadness that like the pet dog has died and the child's really quite upset. And if you stay in that sadness and don't release it, it'll affect your lungs. So Lingon will be here, but to tie it in, we've been donating the essences to orphanages in Brazil for probably. You know, close to 20 years now. And when we started doing our work, the children were getting sometimes six, seven cases of bronchitis a year, getting a lot of antibiotics, which was not good for them. It was costly for the government. And then after we'd been working the flower essences in the orphanages for about a year, the incidence of bronchitis was less than one case per child per year. And of course, it means that they're not holding on to all that grief and sadness that the parents didn't want them or are dead or couldn't look after them. And also health-wise, physically, they're a lot better from that as well. And I think that's the beauty. You could just recognise when someone's sad and give the remedy. And mm-hmm. that's why families can use them. We, my goal is for every family to have the essences so the children can get brought up with them when they're dealing with learning problems or being bullied or sibling rivalry, whatever it is. There's essences that can quickly nip it in the bud and bring about Better quality for the child, and when I was at my studying homeopathy, probably the best homeopath in our class, he was given three doses of Thuya 200. The homeopath will love this one. Took two doses, felt great. He said, "Oh, it's only one more dose," and took his third dose and aggravated, and he was aggravating for six months. And even the best homeopath in Sydney couldn't stop that aggravation. That's the beauty of the bush essences is there's a self-adjusting mechanism. And look, I love homeopathy. I just got whacked on the shoulder by a surfboard a couple of days ago and wasn't sure if it was broken. So I'm hitting Eupatorium, the bones all bruised, and I've got Arnica, and I've got some Hypericum. Like there's, you need to be well-trained in homeopathy to understand like aggravations and things like that, where the bush essences there's a built-in self-adjusting mechanism, it'll the bush essence remedy will take you to the point where you're able to deal with it. it won't push you into an aggravation, for example. So there's differences in that way. And so it's a pretty standard dose, seven drops morning and night, two weeks if it's more acute. If it's more ongoing, we go for a month and then reassess.
0: Ian, you're such an amazing speaker. I can just sit here and if I do not say a word for the rest of the interview, I would be quite happy because your knowledge is just so profound. And you can see that even after all these years, you're still so passionate about what you do. And it's always really inspiring me to speak to somebody who's still so passionate about what it is that they're doing. And you can see that it's inspiring you all through. I have a lot of questions for you just from just unpacking some of the things that you've said but it's interesting that you said about Edward Bach and how he did the bowel nozodes first before he did the flowers not many people know that but some of our best work about the bowel nozodes which everybody's made from poo <laughs> I call them homeopathic probiotics they're not but that's the best way to describe it. and then after that he went to flowers so yeah not many people will know that that Edward Bach started off working with poo and then worked with flowers I think that's quite funny.
1: His comment at the time was, I'm sure nature has got a better solution. Than around
0: <laughs> you can imagine it would be depressing, like working in that laboratory, because he was actually analyzing the stool and then the remedies came from that. And you said about the seven drops. So I've got a few questions from what you're unpacking. But why seven? I know seven is quite a big thing for you in the dosage and administration, but what's the significance for you of that?
1: In that early information, I kept getting the message to use seven drops and say for bark flowers, for example, it's traditionally used four drops from the stock bottle to make your dose bottle. But then they take it four times a day, whereas the bush essence is just on rising and retiring as a very standard dose. And I experiment because we, as well as the single remedies, I've mentioned such as the bush iris or the mountain devil, there's 69 single remedies, individual ones. And from those, we've combined a number together to create combinations. And there's one called travel essence. So for example, if you go flying back to South Africa to visit friends and family, if you take seven drops of the travel essence every hour while you're awake on the plane, it really minimizes the jet lag. Mm -hmm. And we had a, one of our teachers used to be a pilot for for ANSET and they got her to do an assessment of the stresses for cabin and crew and also stewards. And there were so many different factors. We made up the travel lesson, it's got 14 remedies in it. Most of them have about five, but there were so many different stresses: whether you're flying east, west, north, south, gamma radiation, dehydration, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So Putting 14, and that's 98 drops of stock we got to put into each bottle of the travel essence, which really depletes. You can't have to make a lot more. So I experimented with three and four drops, and but I kept getting seven was so much better. And I also studied numerology at the time that I studied my naturopathy. And every patient I ever treat, I always do the numerology chart. And seven is the highest number on the physical point. And learning of lessons. I thought it's appropriate. Look at seven. It's it's probably more symbolic to a seven than any other number. It's a number of love, number of God in some cultures. If we look in nature, there are seven cycles or stages from when water falls as rain to when it becomes a river. The length of a leaf in ratio to the height of a tree is in a ratio of seven. We have seven deadly sins we have seven virtues I think one of our newsletters we ask people what do you associate with seven what are some of the significance which oh, is a whole newsletter on the number seven
0: and it's something and anyone's is, like they've got
1: something interesting please send it into your and know?
0: I. and I think that I know it because my kiddies go to a Steiner school like every seven years of your human development yeah. it's a new kind of phase of life as well so
1: which is why they have a big celebration at 21, because each seven years, one of your subtle bodies forms. So if you can have three of your subtle bodies fully formed, you have a very good chance to overcoming illnesses or infections, et cetera. And we just see it's an excuse for a party now. And uh, yeah, like at age seven, if children had a good solid upbringing, then they suddenly branch out that they're quite happy doing sleepovers. If, If they've had that good secure family base, then they can feel they can go out into the world a little bit more
0: yeah mm. now i haven't said this in the interview yet i've got to put it in the intro but ian and i actually had the most incredible interview a couple of months ago and i lost it and anyone is in my homeopathic facebook group for this podcast will know about that i lost 10 episodes ian was one of them so I so appreciate redoing it. But in our first interview, you mentioned something about the numerology that I was hoping we could kind of revisit. And it was to do with children that are born in this age and how you mentioned something about communication and how their numerology is a little bit different. I can't remember quite what you said, but can, do you recall me talking about that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you mention that again?
1: Yeah. So when we entered into this millennium, for the very first time, for like a thousand years, we're having children born with no one in their birth date. We are all born in the 1900s, so we've got at least one one. If you've only got a single one in your birth date, there can be more difficulty talking about your feelings to someone else. You can be articulate, you can talk about politics and a particular topic, but when it comes to how you're feeling, it's like, oh, it's really awkward, and they probably think, oh, especially people close to you. Oh, they know how I'm feeling. But of course, they don't until you tell them. So the flannel flower is wonderful remedy to helping you communicate and expressing feelings. But now in this millennium, we've had children born with no one in their birth date. And that's where it's nice. If you get the children, you can change some of those patterns or potential and bring in more positive ones. The other thing with these children is that everyone has got at least one, two in the birth date. And two represents sensitivity and cooperation, working with others, but very much that sensitivity.
0: Oh, wow. And
1: in an ideal world, my neurology teacher said a man would have two twos and a woman would have one two. And females were given an extra two by default from that whole. As two twos, it's the equivalent of three. And for a man having three or one having two or more, it's like overly sensitive in the health food store. You get someone pouring out all their problems. Energetically, it leaves the residue. Someone with lots of twos, we very sensitive. They pick up that straight away. Let's say they were in a restaurant, say, and someone's very sad. They would start feeling sad. And they've got to know, is it my sadness or someone else's? And like psychic sponges. Sometimes they might be doing massaging someone's shoulders. And if a person's got a sore shoulder, they'll get that sore shoulder. They're very easy. They, like, they just pick it up. So there's a flower called fringed violet, Physanitus tuberosus. And it's a really, it, it's purple, three petals, very strong spiritual aspect. But it's got hair like projections, hence the fringe. Mm. And it's great for sealing the order. Or and protecting it, making sure you're not just this sponge picking up every person's feelings and emotions. Or let's say there's been an argument or something in a house, like there's, you know, mightn't feel very good. You go to a hotel room and maybe someone's a huge row or maybe got, maybe they died there. So energetically, they'll feel really, oh, this is horrible in here. So the fringe fight's a nice one for these people to feel far more protected, not picking up too much. And if we look at some of the birth dates we had last year, 22nd of the 2nd, 2022. I mean, just like how sensitive was that person? They need an intravenous drip fringe violet. And we're seeing patterns that, you know, like, no numbers potentially on the mental plane, for example. No numbers on the physical plane, which is 1, 4, and 7 with these young children. And that's where I teach a two-day numerology course. And we talk about them and then say, oh, well, this if you have this, no numbers on the physical plane, then sundew, drosera, would be very good. And, of course, the homeopaths would know drosera as being mm-hmm. the remedy for whooping cough, for example. But as a flower essence, it's being very grounded and attention to detail there. Rather than the child's is very vague and dreamy and not very practical, for example.
0: Interesting that you say grounded because the flower itself is very close to the ground. That's quite well, the petals are, but mm. the actual
1: flower, the stem, sometimes can be oh, like 30 centimeters or more from the ground. And it's oh. the smallest of all the flowers is hovering in the breeze, and that's the doctrine of signatures for the sundew. And when I make it, I've got to get enough flowers of these tiny little flowers to fill the bowl, and I need to use some part of the same plant. I can't bring in something from another genus or species because it's mm-hmm. going to be contamination. So I've got to make like a little lasso of this little tight knot around it. And if I pull too quickly or hard, the flower shoots up in the <laughs> or you Pull know, well, just enough, and then you've got to fill enough the bowl. And by lunchtime, by about midday the flowers start finishing, closing down. So you've got to be so focused in your attention to detail, which is all part of what Sunju is about.
0: It's interesting, Ian. I say this often to my staff, but some of the things we have to do when we run a business, like our clients will never know the things that we go through (laughs) to make beautiful products for them. And they shouldn't know, they should just enjoy them. But it's interesting hearing you talk about these little bits of things that you have to do to actually produce this. And that's one of
1: the nice things about my work is I I get to go out into the bush in beautiful parts of the country, in wilderness areas to research flowers and do the work on them.
0: I'm so grateful that you mentioned that, Ian, because all I see in my clinic all day long are people say, Eugenia, I'm so sensitive. I'm sensitive to everything. I'm sensitive to everything. So, And all these children that are just picking up all these emotions from everyone else. And so the classroom environment is simply too much for them because they're picking up all the issues of everybody else in their class. So, so grateful you mentioned about the fringed violet is that something that you could potentially put in the child's water bottle and send them to school with and would you maybe do that if it's like an ongoing thing could you maybe do that like once a week or something like that or what would you do yeah
1: look one's electro dealing with electromagnetic radiation is that but this one here is what we call it the angel pendant and it's got fringe violet and angel sword so if for example your aura was open and that could be an injury has done it, losing consciousness, getting you an know, anesthetic, for example. It could be right. getting whacked in the head from a hockey stick and unconscious. Magic mushrooms, hallucinogenic things, too much marijuana, all those things, getting blind, drunk, can all open up the aura. Mm-hmm. So your energy goes out, but also other energies can more readily come in. So fringe vault sealing the aura, but angel sword gets rid of any energies which have come in which are not so good. So those two work very well together and we put them both in the meditation essence, the space clearing spray that you've mentioned, and also in the emergency essence as well. But if you've got very sensitive ones, we do a round pendant for children and they can just wear it, stock strength right next to them. So that's a nice ongoing one.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. And when you said that, I just had this strong image in my mind to say birth trauma. You know, I have so many women that have extreme birth trauma where they feel that they've left their bodies because of the intensity of it, or there's a C-section or something that they weren't planned for or lots of medication or anything like that. So that would be a really great thing to maybe even give a newborn baby if you feel that they've left their body and haven't been able to come back.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, that term floppy baby." sometimes they're born, they're just not fully come in. So mm-hmm. sundew is a great one for that. Also babies will often cry in that first week at the same time that they were born and they're fed, they've got a dry nappy. And what it is they're processing the birth experience mm-hmm. and fringe vats, really nice one to help process any trauma they've had, from there also that anterior fontanelle in the baby's soft spot which is open for about six weeks energetically and some cultures don't put the child on the ground for that first six weeks or don't take them out of the house because they're so sensitive picking up and especially this lot of children too and you can just close the anterior fontanelle off with a little bit of fringe violet making a cross over that anterior fontanelle as well and you've mentioned caesareans and like South America, Brazil, places like that, 90% of the births are caesarean. It's just like staggering. Here we always have concern when it gets over 30%. And the other thing is, if a woman's had a caesarean, you know, that incision is going to cut through five of the 14 meridians in the body. And what will happen is quite often the energy won't flow effectively along that meridian after an incision that's deep enough to require stitches. So there's a remedy called slender rice flour and it reactivates all the meridians. So if there's been scars, it allowed the meridian to flow effectively along there. When I stopped seeing patients full time, I started doing workshops on all the modalities I use a lot, like the numerology and also kinesiology was another one. And like we demonstrate that and show people and in my workshops i love kinesiology because you can demonstrate and say oh rather than say oh it clears blocks in the scars we bring people up on stage and we do kinesiology testing along the length of the scar and we can show that it's you know the before and after just straight away slender ice fire will make a huge shift and change in that
0: mm mm-hmm. Ian, I've got literally like a gazillion more questions for you. And I know last time we spoke about colors and things like that as well. So we're going to have to get you back for round two, but just a final question. Why do you think the Australian bushflower essences are really important? Why, and how are they different to the, just the standard flower essences, the bark flower essences? And why do you think in this day and age that they're really important? Sorry, that's a really big question.
1: But oh, Yeah. Look, some people think, oh, there's only the 38 bark flowers that flower. They're the only flowers that have healing quality. Every flower has a healing quality. Some express it more fully than others. And I think in Australia, we're quite unique here that we had the first flowering plants. That's accepted because we had the first erosion, we had the first soil. Also, we have the highest number of flowering plants in the world. And when we had all the continents separating, so... Africa, Australia, Antarctica, South America were all joined together, that gone wonderland. And Australia was about 30 million years ago, was the last one to separate from Antarctica. So what happened is Australia as an island grew up in that isolation. And the flora that we had stayed quite unique to that. There was no invading species that took over, for example. And I know when I show the flowers in the workshops overseas, people are struck by there's a sense of ancientness in the flowers. And... Also, we have a predominance of red and purple. And red is that energy, vitality, and purple is that deep spiritual one. And certainly in the bush essences have got a reputation for being incredibly quick acting. You use it for two, not a month, for example. And I think it's all those features. And we didn't have huge major wars. We're starting to realize there were a lot of wars going on with Indigenous people. But compared to the land mass, it was quite small and the numbers were not like teaching in Europe some places and like a few kilometers up the road from the workshop, he had tens of thousands of people killed violently in the last century. So there's still a pristine environment mm-hmm. from where the flowers come from. There's not that pollution from electromagnetic and other things. So all of these things come through in the essences and there's some unique features like one flower called mulamula. It's dealing with radiation now, whether it's solar, electromagnetic, and here we've got 5G starting to come, but it's also gamma radiation when you're flying in a plane 30,000 feet above the ground. And we had Green Cross do a whole lot of research. They were like an offshoot of Red Cross, but more environmental, with Chernobyl. So they would go to Belarus, which is the worst affected country from that disaster, monitoring children even children born many years after chernobyl which was 86 and they find the highest levels of radiation they would give the combination with the more more called electro to them and in 2 weeks they reduced the nuclear radiation by 42% and was the most effective treatment they'd ever come across and this was run by cardiologists neurologists and what have you So, like, this amazing plant coming here in Australia, and there's not an equivalent like it Mm. that we know of at this point in time anywhere else. So there's some very unique, powerful ones here. Like we mentioned BOAT, being able to work on the myosons as well. Sturt Desert Pea, floral emblem of South Australia, such a powerful flower dealing with deep grief and sadness. And we're all carrying some sadness to some degree. So I think Australia is just very unique in the flora coming through. And certainly being using me as that messenger giving me that information so we could get these flowers out and being used and the fact that they're safe there's no side effects it's just this wonderful modality to people and and you can be a homeopath and you can work the flower essences together it's not like oh they're separate i'm a homeopath i can't use them and i know that you've had a, a good friend of mine ian on the program before and he set up the lakeland college in england in fact he was in a homeopathic book. Sh- it was a, it's a like a New Age bookshop in London. He told me the story that he was. This is Ian Watson I'm talking about, mm-hmm. and that my book fell off the shelf and hit him on the head. And he said, like, "Oh, I'm obviously got to read this book." And then Ian got me to got started using the essences there in the college and part of the curriculum. They got me up there to teach, so I'd be running the workshop there, and we'd have a hundred homeopaths. And I said to them, like, because some homeopaths said, oh, well, if you give a bush essence, you'll affect the pattern. You won't be able to tell what the homeopathic remedy is doing what the bush essence is doing. And I put that to them. I was, great, I've got 100 homeopaths I'm going to ask you. And their conclusion was... If you're a home pack, you can't tell the difference. You're not a very good home.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I would agree with that. And speaking of courses, Ian, you have some courses coming up because I know people are going to go wild over this episode because if this is new to them, it's life changing information, really. Because whether you're a home user or a practitioner, you can incorporate this in your practice in clinic or at home. And you have some courses coming up here in Australia. I'm very sad that it's not going to be in Perth this year. Not so happy about that, but <laughs> talk to I'll us about- later <laughs> in the year because I've got to
1: make replenish macrocarpa. So <laughs> <laughs> okay, wonderful. The second um, half, yeah.
0: So talk to us about the courses that you've got coming up. And I mean, people can go to your website, find out more about it there, but you have got some coming up, I think in February, March as well.
1: Yeah. So personally, I'm going to be teaching. We have the Bush Essences. We also have three spiritual ranges of remedies as well. And I'm going to be teaching the the first range, which is called White Light Essences. I'll be teaching that in Sydney and Melbourne. It's a a two-day workshop. We take the remedies. We all meditate on them. I talk about their qualities. And because we've got a large group of people all taking the remedies, a very powerful energy allows you to experience them, even though it might be the first time you've taken it, very powerfully. So we'll be going through all the seven remedies of that range in that workshop. So very experiential and quite a wonderful one. We also have teachers... All around Australia, and we'll be running our level one workshops. We'll be in Perth, Sydney, Brisbane, and Melbourne. And if you're wanting to learn about the essences, if you go to our website, with COVID and all the shutdown, we built a recording studio in our offices, and I record all my workshops so they're available online if people want to do it that way. And except for the kinesiology where you need to... Mm-hmm. Know, be hands on and make sure you. I'll test. To make sure you're testing the right way, but all the others are available online. And if you want to do the live ones, we've got level ones coming up. My White Light Essence workshops. So, yeah, it could be fantastic if you turn up one of the workshops. Say, look, yeah, I learned about you from Eugenie, and that'd be really nice to hear that feedback from. You.
0: That'd be amazing. Ian, thank you so much for your time again. I really appreciate it. And I really hope I can have you back on the show again to just share more of your wisdom. Cause I know there were some other things that we talked about last time that we couldn't cover today, but I, I really appreciate you. your time. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Jeannie.